What is good, everybody? Yo, welcome to the Uncensored Christian Podcast, where we help real people with real problems know the real God. Hey, if you enjoy this message, share this with your friends because the gospel is not meant to be kept to ourselves. And there is a link down below if you would like to give. Your gifts really do help this podcast reach more people all around the world. I hope you enjoy this message. What is popping, everybody? Yo, I am so excited for this episode. Why, you ask? Because this is the first episode in the first series that we are doing on this podcast. This is something completely new, but I'm so excited. And this series is going to be over the parables of Jesus. Because Jesus, for most of his ministry, when he was communicating with his audience, he spoke in parables. That was his favorite way to communicate. And whether you are new to the Bible or you've been studying it for years, you know that the parables are something that captures the attention and the imagination of every single Bible reader. And what's really cool about the parables is that Jesus told these specifically in story form. Why? Why did he tell it in story form? Because he has some that are really, really short and then some stories that are really, really long. Well, what's interesting about story is that stories are easy for us to remember and they also capture our imagination. So when Jesus spoke in parables, it was in such a way that it allowed people to be fully attentive to what Jesus was trying to say. But the challenge, and this is what we'll see, is that since they were in story, Sometimes there can be a challenge with how we interpret those stories to the way that we're supposed to be living out the message that Jesus was giving. But before we can really dive into this and truly get into understanding these parables that Jesus gave, we need to first break down what, I mean, the purpose of a parable is, what it really means. And the Greek word for parable is broken down into two parts. The first part, para, which means beside, and balo, which means to cast or to throw. So a parable in a very basic sense means to cast beside. And what is Jesus casting beside? Well, he's casting a familiar idea besides an unfamiliar idea in such a way that the comparison helps people to better understand and grasp the unfamiliar idea. So what does that mean? Jesus, when he gave these parables, he would tell a story of something that was commonly understood, something that was familiar, right? And then he would contrast that oftentimes with an unfamiliar message or unfamiliar challenge that the people then could connect with the familiar idea. So as we'll see in The Lost Sheep, Jesus has a familiar idea of somebody owning sheep and the sheep getting lost and they understand that the sheep is important. But then he cast it beside an unfamiliar idea of leaving behind the majority of the sheep to go chase after the lost sheep. So when we go into these parables, there's a few almost like ground rules that we need to set, that we need to make sure that we are aware of when interpreting these parables. This will help us for the rest of the series. The first thing is it would be really, really smart of us to not domesticate and simplify these parables to universal truths. Here's what I mean. Many of these parables, for for so long in the Christian tradition, when we read these parables, oftentimes when we're not careful, we can just boil down these parables into universal truths such as 
God loves us or God is forgiving. God will chase after those who are lost. And, and those are all good and those are all true. But if we simplify the parables, then we miss out on Jesus's original intention for those parables, which was to challenge the audience to grow and change. Here's something else that we can recognize. If we leave the parables feeling warm and fuzzy, if we read these parables here and we we read them and we leave them going, man, that felt really good. Like, oh man, I'm just, I'm just so happy about that. These make me feel good and warm on the inside. If we leave the parables feeling that way, then we're completely missing the point of the parable. Jewish studies professor Amy Levine, actually, she kind of summarized this really, really cool. And it actually kind of took me aback. She says in one of her books that religion has been defined as designed to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And honestly, the parables that Jesus gave were meant to do the same thing. They were meant to comfort those who were afflicted, to comfort those who were lost, but they were also meant to afflict and challenge those who were comfortable, who thought they had everything figured out. See, when we read these parables and when we go through the interpretation process, we are meant to continuously grow and impart the meaning that these parables have on all of us. And I think that's why the parables do so well, because, I mean, you notice these parables were given 2,000 plus years ago, but every single generation, even today, we're able to read these parables and understand the meaning that Jesus was giving. And we can pull modern meaning from them because we do that all the time. But what I don't want us to miss out on, I don't want us to get too caught up on how these parables affect us today because they do, trust me. I don't want us to get so caught up on that though that we miss how the original audience were supposed to understand the parables. That's what I don't want to miss. So there's some of the ground rules. We have a few more that will help us interpret these and understand what Jesus is trying to say. We need to understand that oftentimes in the parables, there are multiple characters, whether it's a, a person and an object or multiple people. There are always multiple characters in these parables. And what we will find to see is that we are able to identify with all of the multiple characters at the same time. <laughs> That's what's so crazy about these stories is these stories are not uh, given so that we can identify with just one part of the story, but with every single aspect of it, we can find ourselves in these parables. And so as we come upon the parable of the lost sheep, we are supposed to see ourselves as not only the sheep that is lost, but also the shepherd and also the 99 sheep that got left behind. I know it sounds crazy, but we're going to hop into this. So on to the parable of the lost sheep. We're reading from Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. And Luke's going to set the scene for us here to who Jesus has given this parable to. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? 
And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So before we get into the meat of this parable, I'm just going to lay out what the more modern traditional interpretation of this parable is. And that is that the shepherd who has the sheep that got lost is God or, or Jesus. And this shepherd will chase after the sheep who was lost, which is supposed to be us. We're supposed to be the sheep. And then all heaven rejoices when the sinner comes back. That That's kind of the traditional interpretation. There's obviously some variances here and there. But the main idea that most people interpret is that the shepherd who lost a sheep is God or Jesus. And we're the lost sheep. And Jesus will leave everyone behind to go get us. And then when they find us and when God finds us, there's a heavenly party that gets thrown for the sinner who repents. And I'm going to be honest with you. I always thought that Jesus or God was the shepherd. That traditional interpretation was one that I always held. And I mean, you can interpret it like that. That's the beauty of these parables is that in hindsight of what Jesus did on the cross, we now know that Jesus doesn't want any of us to be lost. But here's, here's where I think in this original context that God is not the shepherd here. I know it sounds crazy, but but let's get through this. So reason why I say that is because we have to look at the context that is happening to um, to Jesus. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees, right? Because the Pharisees are supposed to be the religious leaders, like, like what a pastor would be today. And these Pharisees are mad that Jesus is talking with sinners and even eating with them. Which is funny because Jesus even ate with the Pharisees. So it's like they're trying to dictate who God can and can't um, associate with, which is not really our place to do. But anyway, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And this is where I want to challenge our traditional understanding and really look into the context of what the audience would have understood by this parable. Jesus couldn't solely be the shepherd. I don't think this is what Jesus was trying to get at. I don't think Jesus or God can be the shepherd in this parable. Why? Because he lost the sheep. It's such a small detail, but I think it's really important because God being omniscient and all powerful and all knowing can't lose anything. Like like God can't lose. When, when we decide to walk away from God, it's not God losing us. It would be us losing God. God cannot lose us because he's all-knowing and, and omniscient. So there's no way that God can lose us. But it also, if we do plug in Jesus as the shepherd here, that really doesn't paint a good light on God. That God just lost his sheep, that he wasn't paying attention and one of his sheep ran away. This is why I think that Jesus is trying to tie in the man that lost his sheep to the Pharisees. Because only a faultful, sinful man, or otherwise the Pharisees in this instant, would be able to lose something, especially if they're not keeping count, especially if they're more worried about the sinners and the tax collectors that Jesus is associating with other than the flock that they are supposed to be tending to and teaching and guiding. This imagery is supposed to invoke the Pharisees to realize that instead of chastising 
Jesus for associating with sinners. And instead of looking at these tax collectors and, and, and these uh, sinners that are breaking the law, instead of looking at them as somebody that needs to be lost, this is supposed to invoke a realization that they need to chase after the one who is lost. This is so powerful when, when we look at this in context. This parable is Jesus challenging them to think that maybe they don't have everything in order, right? Because for the Pharisees, one thing that Jesus pointed out multiple times throughout the Gospels is that the Pharisees' problems, they were so focused on outward appearance. They were so focused on looking righteous and behaving righteously that they didn't care who they had to run over in the process, and Jesus is trying to get them to see that, hey, maybe if you weren't so focused on your outwardly appearance, you would have realized that one of your sheep, one of the people that you were supposed to be leading is lost. But one challenge I've always came across when I looked at this parable in its original interpretation that God was the shepherd that lost the sheep is it always bothered me thinking about the 99 sheep, right? Y'all ever ask that question when reading this? Like, what about the 99 like if we look at Jesus as the one chasing after the lost sheep, it doesn't seem right that Jesus would leave behind 99 others. Like, like why does heaven not rejoice for the, the 99 others who are, are, are righteous and haven't strayed away? And I think that when we look at this in the actual context that Jesus is equating the man who lost the sheep to the Pharisees who need to be chasing after their own flock, Jesus is trying to get them to see that there are no 99. I know this is crazy. There are no 99. Here's how I know this. Because it says that the 99 others were the ones who were righteous and haven't strayed away. But if you notice something, we're all sinners and we have all strayed away because obviously Jesus is equating the sheep to people. That, that's what Jesus is equating the sheep to. So obviously a sheep can't be righteous and not straight away. The sheep doesn't have the capacity to do that. So we're talking about human beings here, but we all know that there is no human being on this entire earth other than Jesus who was perfectly righteous and never straight away. But this is where the attack on the Pharisees come. This is where Jesus is challenging them because the Pharisees think that they are righteous and that they haven't strayed away. The Pharisees think that they are the 99 other sheep who were perfect, who don't need a savior. And this is supposed to show them that they not only are the shepherd that lost the sheep, but they are also the lost sheep. And they're also the 99 sheep that got left in the wilderness because they thought they were righteous and haven't strayed away. Dude, when I realized this, this just blew my mind. And we even have Paul to back us up on this idea of nobody being righteous. Because in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says this, As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. And so this is why Jesus says at the end of the parable, when they actually find the lost sheep, that there is more joy for those who are found. Why? Because the one who is found realizes that they're lost. But also when you're the shepherd and you realize that as a pastor, or as a Pharisee, or as a person of God, that there are people within your flock or within your family or within your friend group that are lost. If you do all you can to chase after that person, when you find them, there's something to rejoice about. 
So there is more joy for those who are found than for those who don't realize that they are lost and still in the wilderness. And Jesus is trying to get us to see that we have all strayed away. But as long as one is lost from the flock, as long as that one person is lost, needing salvation, then the flock is incomplete. The flock is incomplete. Obviously, because if you had a hundred to begin with and you're, and you're missing one, it is not complete. And maybe, I think the challenge that Jesus is trying to give and how we can understand this today is not necessarily walking away from this parable going, oh man, it's so glad that Jesus chases after me and doesn't let me get lost because that is true, yes. But this is supposed to challenge us to realize that in this scenario, in this parable, we are the shepherd who has a lost sheep. Every single one of us knows somebody who is lost, who's in need of salvation, who needs the grace of God. And we would be, we would be remiss if we just forgot about the one who was lost to tend to the 99 others that we think haven't strayed away and that we think are righteous. And Jesus is trying to challenge us to chase after the one who is lost. But in the same breath, we are the one who is lost and we do need a savior. And also in the same breath, we are the 99 because there are so many times where we can believe that we are righteous and haven't strayed away. But when we do that, just like the parable says, the man left the 99 others in the wilderness to go search for the one who was lost. And this is why I believe that Jesus is challenging us to be the one that chases after the one who was lost. Because in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, this is what Paul says. This is really powerful. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they have heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? This is our calling, is to tell people about Jesus. And so if there's one that is lost in our flock, it is our responsibility to chase after them and to find that lost sheep. We are both the one and the 99. That's what's so cool about these parables, man. They, they go so deep. Jesus was not playing when he was given these. But I also think that this is meant to challenge our own situations, this parable. Because if, if we lost something of value, like a sheep. And this is where the meaning of parable uh, casting beside, this is where Jesus does this so masterfully because he is, he is comparing a lost sheep, which in that time would be something very valuable. Sheep in, in agriculture, it was so valuable to those people at that time that if you lost a sheep, it was like losing a ton of money. It was not something that you would just let go lightly. So Jesus is trying to get us to see that there is value in every single person, especially those who are lost, and that we need to value people in such a way that if they are lost, we will do everything in our power to chase after those people. And this is what Jesus was trying to get the Pharisees to see. The Pharisees didn't see value in the sinners and tax collectors that Jesus was eating with. They didn't see value in the ones who were lost. And as long as they don't see value in those that are lost, then they're never going to have the drive to go chase after them. This is a, this kind of, this whole parable actually kind of ties into Deuteronomy 22. I noticed this the other day and I thought, this is interesting. I wonder if Jesus is pulling off this because in Deuteronomy 22 verse one, it says, if you see your neighbor's ox or sheep or goat wandering away, 
Don't ignore your responsibility. Take it back to its owner. If its owner does not live nearby or you don't know who the owner is, take it to your place and keep it until the owner comes looking for it. Then you must return it. So even the, the entire Jewish culture has an understanding of something as simple as if you see a sheep that is wandering and is lost, don't ignore your responsibility to take care of it and to get it back to its owner. Get it back to its rightful place. These parables show that what they lost is of importance. And like I said before, the Pharisees clearly thought that the tax collectors and sinners were unimportant. And I think that's why Luke ends this um, this parable with a huge amount of joy that heaven has when one who was lost becomes found. It should be something that is celebrated. Finding someone who was lost should be something that is celebrated and not scolded like the Pharisees were doing to Jesus. So this is what I believe is the original interpretation that the Jewish audience and the Pharisees would have understood when Jesus gave this. On to the next parable that we're going to be covering. This one's a lot shorter, but it it ties onto the same theme of losing something and doing what you can to find it. This is the parable of the lost coin. This is in Luke chapter 15, verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, similar to the parable of the lost sheep, I was always taught that this parable was about God as well. That anyone who is lost, God's going to do everything he can to find it. And then he's going to throw a party when he finds it. And you can definitely draw that conclusion. And understanding this parable in light of what Jesus did, um, I think you can obviously read that into this parable. That, yeah, God is going to do all he can to find us and to bring us back home. And that's very true. But if we only interpret it that way, once again, we are missing the challenge that Jesus is trying to give his original audience and to us. And this is why I don't think God is Jesus's original uh, character in this story. Because once again, just like the parable of the lost sheep, you have someone who lost something. They actually lost the coin. And in another translation of this parable, um, instead of the woman saying that I have found my coin, some translators say that I found the coin that I lost. And this is what is really important is you can see at the end of the parable where Jesus is connecting the worth of the coin, which this coin actually is worth uh, an entire day's wage. So you're talking about she's losing an entire day of pay. <laughs> and if any of y'all lost an entire day of pay just out your wallet, I'm sure you would do whatever you could to find that as well. But Jesus is connecting the worth of the coin to the woman as the joy in heaven has for a sinner that repents. And so what is the coin's founding or the person's repentance dependent on? Since we since we know that the coin in this parable is also meant to symbolize a person who is lost, what is this founding of the coin or the, the person who's repenting dependent on? It is dependent on somebody realizing that it's lost. It is dependent on somebody realizing that what was once here is gone. And what was once complete, the 100 sheep and the 10 coins, is no longer complete because this coin, this sheep, or this person is lost 
And then the person who realizes that it's lost is doing whatever is necessary to find it. I love that. I love that because, I mean, check this out. For you to realize that a hundred sheep is lost, that requires that you are diligently keeping up with those in your flock. That, that, that means that you are diligently keeping up with the people in your life, your family, your friends, your acquaintances. You are constantly checking in on them. And then if you constantly check in on them, that's the only way that you will realize that one is lost. Jesus is also challenging us here to stay up to date, to be in constant interaction with those around us that we love, because how are we ever going to realize if somebody is lost or hurting if we are not keeping up with them to realize if they get lost? Same with the coin. Yeah, it's 10 coins, but if you just threw a pile of nine coins, you wouldn't be able to immediately differentiate if there's only nine or 10. It takes it takes a intentional counting and, and attention to what you have to realize that something is lost and then doing what you can to find it. I also love that this parable is about a woman. I don't think that was just some minute miscellaneous detail that Jesus just threw in for no reason. I think this is a very important detail. And this is where the challenge comes in in this parable. And this is what's getting to the heart of the of these parables is that it is all of our responsibilities. It is every single one of our responsibilities to value God's imagers, to value human life enough to one, notice when they get lost and two, doing all that you can do to find them doing everything that you can to find the sheep, the coin, or the person who was lost. And Jesus continues to compare the importance of those things that are lost to the things that we value enough to go out of our way to find. If we value our sheep enough, especially for this original audience, they valued sheep enough to run out and leave the rest behind to go find it. This woman valued her money enough to get on the floor and search until she could find it. So why don't we do the same thing for the human beings who are made in God's image who are lost? That's the challenge. But see, here's the thing is that we miss out on these challenges in these parables. If we only look at the parables as short stories that tell us how much we're loved, if we only uh, look at the universal truths from the parables that talk about how we're all sinners and God will do anything he can to find us. And although that is true, these original audiences would have never been able to tie that together. I think that's important for us to note is that these audiences that Jesus is speaking to, they had no understanding or idea that Jesus was going to die on the Christ and die on the cross and rise again so we could be freed from sin. They had no concept of this. So in their eyes, this is a complete challenge that Jesus is giving them to care about people enough to search for them and help them back home when they are lost. I hope y'all enjoyed this message. We're going to be going over some more parables next week to continue on this series. If you enjoyed this, share this with your friends and family. Maybe they'll learn something too, just like I've been able to learn through this whole process. And I hope y'all have a great day. Peace out.